boys and girls and boys and men and women. Welcome to Seven Place Podcast, episode number 42. Today we are going to talk about influential influencers, influencer platforms, influencer everything, and social media marketing. Uh, we have talked about many different topics, but uh, and we have also uh, talked about influencers uh, on our earlier show on episode twenty. Uh, 20- six so that's one was in Estonian if you who is listening now want to listen to more about this then go ahead and listen to that show and if you my dear listener feel that you have some feedback for me for Avery for Alex or the planet then feel free to write in the comments uh, write in the messages in the email or you can just uh, send me a postcard Apo- Uh, okay, mail pigeon, messenger pigeon. And um, as you might guess, this episode will be in English. And um, influencers, like we said, for me personally, influencer marketing is a uh, is mostly theory based, or I have an opinion on it. But uh, to be honest, my practical knowledge of uh, uh, using influential marketing, as uh, now I'm doing this, is not maybe being deliberate, but I, I thought that in some way I am doing it by having you on the show. Oh, kind thanks, of. Jan. If you are going to later share this uh, with your followers. Yeah, that's true. So a little bit maybe getting influence from other people, and also in my blog I have a social media hero segment. So I get like uh, hopefully you guys too to write about like it's like a written interview, and then I publish it. Mm. So it's. Uh, I don't know if it, mm. if that counts. It does. It does. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. It, okay. <laughs> And um, anyway, for this topic, we have two fine gentlemen joining us today. We have Alex Koha and Every Schrader from uh, Promoti and from Canada. Canada. <laughs> Modash. Modash. And uh, you you're both uh, Alex and Avery are like double A, so basically you're like the A team. Sounds good. Yeah, dude. I, we need a van. <laughs> That's yeah. they ride around in a van, right? Yeah. Yeah, black van. Then, yeah. The, but just two guys missing. So, yeah. who's the guy that says sucker a lot? Uh, I pity the fool. The Mr. T. Yeah, no, yeah, the guy, yeah Mr. T. B. A. Baracus. Yeah. I pity the fool. That's my favorite thing about the eighteen. <laughs> That one line. Childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that you added the comment. You can go and uh, explain mo- further on what you do, but uh, in short, Promote is a platform. If I say correctly, that uh, is a platform to find micro influencers to be the influencers of your brand. Yeah, of uh, any any size influencer for for brands on both agencies as well. Okay, and in the five sentences, uh, what do you do? So basically, the platform where we have the influencers, uh, we connect them to different brands and agencies. And uh, when we conduct campaigns, we do the communications and planning and messaging of the campaigns. And then uh, the brand uh, then can enjoy the influence without doing all the hassle because there's a lot of manual labor involved in doing these campaigns. And right now, we're uh, I think it's safe to say we're Estonia's biggest. We have over 10,000 influencers in Estonia. And we've conducted about 30 campaigns already with like Swedbank and uh, government 
Vitamin Well Knocko brands such as these. And they're mostly Estonian based? All Estonian, yeah. We're, we're Estonian focused right now. So we're, we're doing a really like localized approach. Is this sustainable? Well, no, but we are going to expand, but uh, we take like country by country. So uh, we feel that each local culture might have their own like different angles, how influencers work. So we will do it country by country to be more personal and more effective. It's really cool for me to hear about it just because like I've only heard the name and yeah, it's cool. I like it. And uh, what are you doing, Avery? Yeah, so Modash allows marketers to run audience targeted influencer campaigns anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where you're at. So uh, yeah, so essentially if you're a marketer, you can input a target audience and get matched with influencers that speak to that target audience. So maybe I'm a brand in Estonia and I want to find an influencer in Spain who's interested in um, skateboards and hula hoops and uh, I don't know, tea. <laughs> and so I can input that target audience with the age, the geography and everything. I get matched with a creator or a list of creators rather, and I can send them the campaign information. And from there we can communicate and collaborate and pay and who, everything. Who does the us. communication? The brand. So our philosophy is that uh, in order to scale, we have to automate as much as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. So we focus on automating every single step. Uh, and therefore, the, the brand has more power of speed and, and we can move quicker. AI, all that thing? Yeah, totally. So all of our data is run through like image recognition software and we use uh, cool AI fancy words like that. But the important part is that it's easier for influencers to get paid and it's easier for marketers to access influencers anywhere, especially based on target audience. That's the one thing I would say we do a little bit differently is that it's not has nothing to do with the influencer. It's more about the audience they speak to, which is really important when you're a marketer. Mm, okay. And mm. um, Alex, you have a really, I don't know, the right adjective for your background, but uh, white background. So uh, <laughs> you are... Uh, uh, you're from the startup Titan Grid. Yep. Mm, that's uh, done. Uh, that deals with cyber identity. Yeah. Yes. For, it's now in research and development. Yeah. Yeah. It's still. Uh, it's very active, and uh, we're we're not launched yet. We we were, but uh, it's actually been quite a long journey, and now uh, we're doing some redevelopments based on some feedback. So we're again in that research and development phase there. And uh, also you mentioned that you're doing some chip design, programming, databases, uh, cyber yeah, security. I have a very wide IT background. Uh, it's like jack of all trades, but master of none. And well, I'm still like more in the business side and product development, growth hacking. But I felt that I deliberately learned a lot of the broad IT things so I could speak each of the specialists in their own language so I can do it a lot more effectively, save a lot more time by having middlemen who know, like who can translate what I'm saying to them into their tech language. It's better if I can just understand everything they do and maybe even point out problems they might not see from a different angle. And uh, how did you end up in social media or influencer marketing? Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting journey. Actually, I've uh, like researched it uh, a lot already before Titan Grid, and I was uh, very interested. Before Titan Grid, I actually wanted to do a popular science news media site, and that's when I like started uh, researching it. It didn't really took take off, or we didn't really even get to it. But uh, in that process, I got really interested in it. But then uh, came Titan Grid, and you know, as me and Leo, my co-founder we're both like ethical hackers so what we do is in titan grid is we basically automate all the tools that hackers use to gather information so like data is our game and we're really good at like extracting value from data and i felt that like value extracting value from data is like a crucial thing in marketing as well so i i, I really wanted to like postpone it because i wanted to focus on one thing but i got like too excited and so last summer i just had to like do it <laughs> 
That's really cool. You sound like a smart guy. I think you're like, especially in the technical space way. So you studied like... Uh, yeah, actually next week I will have my graduation ceremony for the master's degree of uh, cybersecurity. Nice, man. Congratulations. A little round of applause there. That's super cool. Cybersecurity is a big deal right now. Yeah. It's especially in Estonia. Good space. It's huge, yeah. Mm. Do you want to add anything more about yourself? Mm, well, I like... Uh, physics a lot. I I do uh, fight sports and uh, yeah, I, I like to read a lot. What what style fight sport? Uh, I did uh, MMA for a while and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm. Uh, but right now it's been a little bit like not that good because so much work. But uh, but I will get back to it definitely. I'm nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> you be careful what you say, Avery. So Avery, besides. Uh, Besides hanging out with Jan. Yeah, and uh, uh, you said, because you said, what you do is that you're from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> ah, sorry, I wasn't sure. Uh. So, uh, my, like, how did you end up with uh, influencer marketing? Yeah. So I lived in Germany last year, and I got uh, I was climbing a lot, and I I had left university or left I graduated high school, moved to Germany right away, and. Uh, after spending a year like working and living and climbing and kind of realizing what life was a little bit, I got obsessed with the idea of learning again and making my own thing. And the idea of digital marketing was interesting to me because uh, it involves people, I, I think. And and so I took a dive in there and, and did some social media marketing for like, uh, especially for a couple of pro athletes and for a best-selling author and for a marketing agency that's located in um, Portland. And uh, yeah, so I kind of helped these guys and learned a little bit myself and played around with like, I made a couple of vlogs in Germany and, and played around with this. And I'd always been really obsessed with digital creator culture. So this idea of like people being brave enough to put themselves on camera, like you said, take a selfie is really, I don't know, interesting to me and this idea of sharing things. So yeah, that's how Modash started, at least in the short story, but my, uh, my background outside of, of digital marketing is, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time climbing, climbed uh, kind of competitively in Canada and then uh, in the south of Europe, climbed in Switzerland and Italy. And yeah, that's definitely my uh, my passion. Right right now, as you said, it's kind of on the back burner, which sucks, but um, yeah. But uh, for both of you, why, why choose uh, promoting influencers but uh, not becoming one? In, in the sense of just being an influencer? Might happen in the future. I think if, if I become an influencer, it might be more a B2B influencer, but uh, I, I'm not looking at it right now. When I, maybe in, after 10 years, I gather enough experience that uh, it's like worth to somebody to share. And uh, mm. it, it, if it just sort of happens then, but I'm, I'm, I'm not considering it like as a career option, I think, probably. Mm. For me, Ah, that's a weird question because I feel like uh, I've done when I even before I was in social media at all I'd done some brand deals climbing and got some free granola bars and paid a little bit and flight tickets and stuff but um, never really a big deal and then when I started to get into social media and I do the show now and I post more selfies maybe I uh, I build a little bit of a following I write uh, every day on LinkedIn and uh, get pretty good traction there and uh, I don't know as far as pursuing the idea of Pursuing influence as a career, I don't think is uh, fulfilling for me, but I like the idea of building a community and maybe later leveraging that somehow, but I'd rather maybe use that as a way to promote Modash or 
or whatever other crazy projects happen. It's like uh, you need to think of yourself already today as you are the influencer already in your team I mean, or in your fee- in your in your like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we yeah. both represent our own brand, and uh, yeah, in a way, we are influencers. Maybe we're not uh, focused on being instagram influencers or facebook in- or youtube influencers or whatever but i actually believe that every person is an influencer yeah. because you have your friends you have your family you have people who look up to you and the thing like when you buy a new phone you're gonna you're not usually just go mm. into some e-store and buy it you're gonna ask your friend you know is this better or is this better that's also influence so one plus <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly are they paying you to say that no, <laughs> no it's just a good phone so yeah, I think like regular people's influence is also something that uh, that's out there and probably something that's also going to get used in the future. Mm-hmm. You a little bit mentioned that you're actively on LinkedIn, mm. that you are doing actually a good job with that. At first, Thanks, also you did the same spamming to me that you added, but you didn't yeah. reply. I tried to uh, reach out to you when I first got here because I heard about Seven Blaze ah, and okay. I was like, who's this guy? Interesting. And Already left or something? I don't I, know. I don't know. Something yeah. happened. But, but I think you didn't get back to me. I added you and you're like, oh, this guy's a weird Canadian. I don't like him. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, how do you daily use social media? I uh, I think my main place is probably Reddit. <laughs> ah, re- okay. Yeah. And uh, then also, of course, Instagram. Um, I don't. I try to keep away from Facebook because it's like a endless pit you go down. <laughs> Reddit is kind of the same, but uh, there's more useful information there if you follow the right subs. At least it feels more useful. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Can you say some Reddit subs? Uh, I follow physics. Mm, let me think. I have so many there. Oh my god. Uh, Ask Reddit is like the typical answer, but it's solid. Yeah, I think. yeah. Uh, all the news ones. Mm-hmm. I, I follow a lot of science ones, different ones, and. Uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, some joke ones, uh, of course. <laughs> Our memes. Gotta gotta have those memes. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I'll, of course LinkedIn as well. And uh, and uh, I used to to a little bit of Twitter, but it's not really. Th- when I was in London last year uh, with Titan Grid, then uh, I used it a little bit more. But now it's kind of like died off a little bit. I did some automation there and like left it there, <coughs> let it gather mm-hmm. some traction. <laughs> so I just got today uh, Instagram ads about ah. Twitter is uh, like can't remember the message like really good in marketing or something like like Twitter mm. advertising is like the best uh, way to do this 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 and like mm. you're advertising it on Instagram like why yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tw- when you go for Twitter it's, um, it's in Estonia it's not very good globally it's more there are more older people there uh, and uh, you get more the B two B kind there so it's also used a lot as a, like a notification center for bigger companies and. Uh, and like in influencers like Elon Musk and so on, they post things like there. So it's for for like the big players in B two B, I think. Or influencers like Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh. Mm. Yeah, I like Twitter as a way to communicate with like. Uh, I don't use it personally very often, but I like it as a way to to inter as that influencers or people with a following use it to interact with their audience. I think that's a cool direction that if I was Twitter, maybe would try to go like double down on this this direction because I don't mm. know that they're have changed much and I'm not sure if life is getting better for Twitter or not but yeah it's definitely not my my place my my social media time is probably spent mostly uh, LinkedIn and now I'm writing a bit for uh, Modash's blog but that's not so much social maybe um, and then Instagram and then I do the show and uh, occasionally some other random piece of content every now and then I double down on a Facebook video to make sure my Canadian family know I'm still alive yeah 
Do you have something on your not to do list, or you definitely like avoid? Generally, or mm. like in life, <laughs> I try to avoid not starting more companies. Okay. <laughs> I, I get like ten ideas a day, and I'm always like, "Oh, this is really good. You know, I need mm. to do this." But then I just have this file where I put it, and I forget it, and then maybe later, when I have time in the future, I will look back at it and see if I can pull something out. Yeah. yeah. Where did can I am I allowed to ask questions here? Yeah, yeah. You go ahead. <laughs> Where did Promoti come from? Like, where did the idea come so, Because uh, I think that was, I wrote that in the doc, was that uh, cybersecurity to influencer marketing is a pretty big leap. And you said that, like, from a data perspective, it makes sense. But I'm curious, like, why influencer and why not? I don't know. Um, mainly because the thing we did at Titan Grid and we're still doing is mm-hmm. where, what we do is we automate uh, tools of the hackers to gather, like, basically do what the hackers do in mm-hmm. an automated way to see what information is out there about you. Uh, so okay. uh, it's very people-centric, and since mm-hmm. influencer marketing is also pe- very people-centric, and mm-hmm. I made the connection from there ah, to okay. through the social media. Yeah. Mm. What's so special about this influential marketing? Yeah, I think it's like the most human kind of marketing. It's super native. You know, when you when you especially when you follow somebody in a meaningful way. Maybe you have like a thousand people you follow on Instagram, but really there's three of them that you pay attention to, and I think that. Uh, when one of those three people says, hey, I happen to really love this uh, website building platform. I use it personally. You can go to my website and see that I use Keanu it. Keanu Reeves? Um, if that's yeah. what you're into, yeah. sure. But uh, <laughs> for me, I, I don't know. I don't follow Keanu. But uh, yeah, I think that that's part of the value is that it's very... People look for advice through these people, and that's why we follow people. I think because we uh, either they entertain us, or we want to we want to emulate who they are as a person, or we respect them and take their advice in a meaningful way. And I think that's why influencer marketing works, maybe. And it's also maybe the least. It's not super oversaturated yet. I think that that's probably coming in the next years, but. Uh, there's still big space for quality influencer marketing where the creators actually care about the product and that shines through rather than when it's like a girl with a tube of toothpaste on a television screen that says this is amazing but at the same time i feel like now it's like now becoming uh, or is like a hot topic because mm. of instagram youtube mm. uh influencers but uh stars and celebrities have always been like yeah. used in advertising so absolutely yeah. What's what's the dif- what's the difference now? It's because uh, there was some statistic that ninety two percent of people s- like trust their friends, family, and like uh, idols more, and mm-hmm. also uh, like the bigger influencers, the re- celebrities go under that field. But if it's like a celebrity, you know that they get sponsorships, and you know you get used to the fact that uh, that sometimes they have to promote things, and uh, they might just get paid for it. But if it's like a smaller and more micro, you go then uh, the more authentic it kind of feels to you. But it is, it's actually the same, but it's just like a cognitive trap that you that you fall into. Yeah, I, I think there was an, just a, when you said the statistic, there was another one that showed that uh, I think young people, uh, a couple of years ago, people still in high school mm. or, or below trust social media celebrities almost 100% more than yeah. traditional celebrities. So Maybe they seem for, I, because they're on the same platform, Mm. And you can actually communicate with those people. Yeah. Like, uh, I can't write, George Clooney probably wouldn't answer me. And they're much more relatable, right? That's their job. Like, uh, especially the ones that I think really provide ROI for brands that work with them are the ones that are the most relatable. Like, if Jan was promoting something, I'd be like, Jan is a good guy. I trust his word. 
and he's <laughs> promoting the OneNote. OnePlus. That's OnePlus, OneNote plus Google thing. No, no, it's, buy it. it's OnePlus uh, phone. It's not Google. Oh. It's OnePlus. OnePlus. Yeah. Okay. Get it right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, influence, influence. So you decided to build the platform for it. But now you changed it into commercial influencing, mm. basically. So uh, now I feel like if, okay, I used to trust before if someone is uh, suggesting, but how, how do I now draw the line between uh, paid publicity yeah. and uh, really someone uh, suggesting it? It's, it's a good question, but uh, what, what, what it comes down to is that influencers are also people. They also have the connections with uh, brands and like in Promoti, for example, they can all refuse uh, all the offers that they get uh, if, if it doesn't match with their own personal brand and we actually advocate that. So if they really, if you find the influencers that really like your brand, you will see it from their posts as well. We also track like the performance. And sometimes there have been cases where like a promo post gets four times the engagement that a regular post gets, which is like out of this world. So they they like the promo post mm. more than the regular posts. Oh, okay. So you need to like balance it really well. You need to find the right match, and then uh, that's where magic happens. Yeah, and I think people who are are good at creating communities understand that they can't put up like a facade all the time mm. of oh I like this product oh I like this product and I think that they learn that more and more maybe um, and so that you get a little less saturation in the way that people promote products that they enjoy I also think that uh, if when somebody I follow and somebody I care about or that I think of as like I said somebody I'd like to emulate promotes something and says uh, shout out to whoever OnePlus they're sponsoring the show then I, I almost like that brand more because I want to support that person. And I want to, and if in buying that, not only do I get the thing that this person recommends, but I also support what they're doing and I have an outlet to do that, then uh, it provides even more maybe emotional value to me. It's the relatability factor. So yeah. you, when, when you try to be, because what you try to become the people you follow basically. And uh, if you're, there's an influencer you're like fanatically a fan of, and she has an iPhone, then you have to have an iPhone. There was a really good campaign that Sportland did uh, with, uh, I don't, I think it was a Vans backpack or something. And they used uh, one really young influencer, uh, can't remember the name, might have been Maria. And uh, then uh, she was like a YouTuber. And when she did the campaign, uh, they sold out all the bags before the campaign even ended because everybody like, they were like the people working at Sportland were like, uh, you know, they saw situations where the parent came with the girl and said, get this backpack with two slits, it's more practical, you know, but this other thing was with one slit, and it was like, no, I want the one that was in Maria's video, you know, yeah. and uh, that's how it works, you know, you really want to be that influencer, you, you know, relate with them, and uh, if they have these things, then you you want to have them as well. Uh, what the to do? What's the difference between a micro-influencer and a regular influencer, or a celebrity influencer or a Instagram influencer? What's the differences? How do you draw the line? It's very vague, I think. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it can be different because some niches are like really small mm -hmm. and then maybe already somebody with 2,000 followers is like a huge influencer. But in another case, you know, might, you might have somebody with 26 million followers. So it's really, I, I think it's hard to draw the line there, but uh, I think that for me, where I draw the line is uh, the engagement level. So uh, higher accounts, like large, larger accounts, usually like good engagement is like 5%, maybe 100K 
200k accounts, it's hard to keep it up because you just get developers who are passive. Mm -hmm. But smaller accounts, they like we have a lot of accounts that have 20, 30 percent engagement, which is like a crazy engagement range, and they are like usually 8,000 to 10,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like where the where I put the micro. I think that's like the most effective group that that can be used. Those who can do the swipe up functionality. <laughs> yes, <laughs> those are influencers on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. I think it totally depends on the how willing is your audience to trust what you have to say. And that's pretty much what it comes down to, whether it's three people or, or a thousand people or a hundred thousand people. Um, when Demi Lovato promotes something, I'm sure that whoever that brand is sells some stuff because of it. But it's just a matter of where you put that money and the kind of people that you want to buy your thing or, or yeah. You, you, and with macro influencers, celebrity influencers, it's very hard to narrow in on a niche and say, you know, you have to pay for that million followers. Whereas if I have a thousand followers and I'm followers and I'm the trusted source for crypto news in Estonia, then that can be much, much higher ROI because Demi Lovato promoting crypto might not turn over so much uh, revenue. I don't know, maybe Demi's like Bitcoin master or something. Yeah, it's better to get like, um I think it's more effective if you get many smaller influencers mm -hmm. with a higher engagement rather than a large one, like one large one with a smaller engagement, because you will you will get the relatability factor from that. Mm. I think that my my theory is there's two like magical combinations. One of them is like four to five mid-range influencers where you have like a hundred thousand maybe followers and you have five of them and they collaborate on something really highly creative. This works really well. And then, yeah, like you said, if you just scale out a micro influencer campaign and high native is one company that I'm familiar with did a campaign where in, in a year they uh, did like 290 uh, in influencer collaborations and they went from zero to 400 K annual recurring revenue in that one year. Hmm. And uh, just with with micro influencers on YouTube, some of the videos got 5k views, some of them got 30k views. A couple maybe were like somebody did something hilarious and got a little higher. But it was about the fact that they were able to pay less and work with a smaller influencer and do it a whole bunch of times, and they crushed it. 400k from zero is a lot. What are the most needed talents to become an influencer, or what talents to look in an influencer? I think you need to be. You need to be creative because if you're gonna have a lot of good content you're gonna put out there uh, and you need to be persistent when when you're a good influencer then creating all this content having all these ideas you need to, like your mind needs to be open you need to get these ideas otherwise if you make like 10 weeks of really good posts then you run out of ideas you know then there's silence that's that's not the persistence that you need to become like a big one so i think that uh, creativity is a really like open-mindedness is a really important factor mm -hmm. You have to be really secure in who you are yeah, and you true. have to be willing to put stuff out that people hate. I spent like, I don't know, 30 minutes before I came here today responding to comments on LinkedIn. I posted a question about uh, um, whether governments should restrict freedom of speech or something. People didn't like that question very much. It got very like heated in the comments, but because I think that part of the reason that I'm growing there is because I'm willing to do stuff a little bit maybe weird that people might hate or not do and then you learn and you evolve as a creator and and you do things differently i think another really big one i liked what you said as well because creativity is super important i think collaboration is a really huge thing um if you can 
if you can work together and collaborate in a way that makes everybody grow, then it's just a, a faster, faster way. And the creativity, you get double the creative brain power. And yeah, I think these are two really big ones. I think it's really important too. Maybe it's not, you have to decide whether or not you want to be an influencer in the long term, or if you love a thing and you want to share it with the world. Like there's, I think there's many ways that you can target a young audience and be and really appeal to them super well but as you grow older i don't think that's the thing that makes you happy and so if you want a sustainable and consistent career as a creator i think you have to do something you love and just share that that's my maybe that's my idealism i don't know but no, the passion is important if you know you wake up in the morning you're like oh i have this photo shoot you know i have to get these things done then mm. you're just gonna eventually you're just gonna be like screw it i'm not gonna yeah. do it I had, that you see so many especially in the gaming space it seems like people do that they get stuck because they're like oh yes i can make a Fortnite video and get another million views or whatever and then they do that and do that and do that and then they drop off the planet or they like quit youtube or some crazy thing happens and you don't see them for a long time and then they come back and they start doing something a little bit different and you can and then they their audience size maybe shrinks or their view count shrinks but they're doing the thing they care about and it just seems so much it makes so much more sense to me to do it that way from the beginning what brand should not work with influencers I think if you go, you think, okay, I'm going to do an influencer marketing campaign, you're going to go start looking for influencers either on a platform or on, on the Instagram platform itself, and you can't find anything that matches your brand directly, then you probably shouldn't force it. So you shouldn't find like somebody who sort of is but isn't, and uh, that, that's when it won't work for you. If you find somebody who's like, damn, this person will love my stuff, you know, then you should. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brands that are willing to actually do it correctly and aren't and in the long term too like uh, if you're willing to put the time and the effort into collaborating with somebody and not just throwing a pair of sneakers at them and expecting them to make you a million bucks yeah one time campaigns are good for like little awareness whatever mm -hmm. like boosting other campaigns you might be have running but if you mm -hmm. want to have like a, a good effect on it then it's kind of like content marketing you need to like produce good content for maybe six months and mm -hmm. then it it starts to accumulate and uh, business will start coming in and uh, with influencer marketing, it's the same. They're producing content uh, in a different format, and uh, the the like effect comes from consistency and uh, persistence. Mm. I think this is it, was this a rapid fire question? I don't no, know. Okay. you should because uh, <laughs> actually this is a really really good point that he just made, and that's one thing that a lot of brands don't do. Most brands don't do. No one is taking the free content that's being created in influencer campaigns and then using it in their facebook ads mm -hmm. or on their feed and then running a facebook ad with the influencers content to a look-alike audience of the influencers audience it's what about uh, i bring in a new perspective mm -hmm. uh, with influencer marketing let's say a company is doing it doing it doing it uh, going very well and that all of a sudden that influencer becomes an asshole mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> or, or does something that is not uh, in line with your uh, brand but mm -hmm you put all your effort into other people. Mm -hmm. So I have this, uh, like, if you want to be really be in control of your brand, you should do the things yourself. But uh, if you're giving this uh, control to other people, uh, there's a risk of like being in like entrapped with influencers. I think if they change like overnight and become an asshole like that, then there's some hidden motive somewhere that you need to find out. And the answer to that is just communication. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, if they start producing good content, I don't think there's going to be a reason why they're just going to one day say, you know, fuck it, I'm going to post like 
a wall and then put your tag on it and or whatever you know I, I think they won't like attack you in that way maybe if you produce bad uh, a bad product and uh, the bad product is literally bad and you expect them to write a good review and then you're like okay why didn't you write a good review then you need to review your own product and make sure that you're providing quality stuff I want to make sure I follow. You're talking like uh, somebody, maybe not directly related to the brand Disney. I work with Disney, and then I. It's not like I say Disney sucks, but rather maybe I go out and punch somebody in the face yes, on camera yes. or something. Like do something not yeah. Disney like. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that it depends on what kind of brand you want to be. If you want to be the kind of brand that is consistent with your message and says, "Okay, we believed in this person, and that's why their audience supported us through supporting them." If we want to be a little bit unique and not just have this outrage culture be a part of who we are, then he's right. It's about communication and figuring out the issue and making really critical and not short-sighted decision about what you're doing. Because it can be a lot, I think that there's good press to be had in sticking to your guns sometimes. And it's something that, especially in the US and Canada, brands aren't doing. It's like as soon as somebody slips up, cut the cord, cut the cord, cut the cord get out of there, say something, we totally resent this person now and we don't like them and whatever. And then that person, of course, has to talk about that and say, yeah, Disney cut me after I slipped this word on the stream or whatever, and now, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. what they did. And then, you know, those people are still influencers, Mm -hmm. so. Okay, um, but the next uh, topic would be about... um, your platform your platform as a middleman why wouldn't i just uh, approach the influencers myself why do i need uh, platforms for it because it's there's lots of platforms coming uh, yeah there there's hundreds of them out there and uh, well the, the main thing is that it's a lot of work there's so much to do you need to find all the influencers for one you need you can go in instagram and scroll but you know when we have a database of 10,000 that you can easily search it's it saves you a lot of time and uh and also you can target easily all the communication is done easily all the payments you don't need to do like uh, one by one you don't need to do the one personal communication with each one if the platform does it for you it, it, it's just massive time save mm. i believe yeah i think that it's really really difficult to scale this thing if you're a cafe i think that i think you would agree that maybe our platforms are not for you if you're trying to do one influencer campaign a year or something and you just want to work with somebody to make you take photos for you or whatever. Um, what our platform is really good for is if you want to access a hundred influencers to work on a specific campaign in 10 minutes. And have you ever thought about uh, building a mutual company? We never met before. Yeah. Oh, okay. We could collaborate somehow. I'm sure. I don't know what, uh, how he feels about me. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to figure out that. Yeah, what do you think? Do you want, let's just let's just merge right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ten per- Can I get five percent cut? What do you think? I don't know. We'll have to take it to the negotiation we'll, tables. We won't yeah. settle for more than eight. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, what other competitors do you have right there in the market? I think the biggest ones in Europe right now are In the Hash and Unboxed Social. Oh, uh, they're interesting the, choices. They're they're probably the the biggest players in EU right now. I think. What was the first one? Uh, in the Hash. In the Hash. In the. In the. In, in the Hash. The. Yeah. But uh, you know they're having a bit, bit of a different angle than than we are, for example, and. Uh, 
and I think there's still room to do like things differently. Plus, also what you mentioned before, the cafes and like the really small businesses. We actually oh, yeah. have something coming up that's uh, going to provide something for them. That's, that's a good idea. Long duration and uh, and like uh, like take the same effectiveness to them without all the massive costs that's with the big brands, big campaigns. Mm. I would like to go out. Uh, how can I become a cafe influencer? Write about cafes, probably. Uh. Oh. <laughs> So you, you can do that yeah. you're a charming guy you have a small following you go into a cafe you say what's up guys I'm this dude I have this many followers I need free coffee I need free lunch and I'm gonna post about you three times a week yes or no they're all gonna say no and someone's gonna say yes and then you're gonna say cool let's do it I should probably do that as a test do it to myself hmm where do I want to eat <laughs> do a study everywhere there you go yeah where do you want to eat I was really interested by your choices of competitors actually how come because uh, I I thought I didn't think that's what you'd say the ones that we consider are mostly like uh, Tracker and then there's a small one called Scrunch in Australia which is quite small but doing something similar to us yeah Indahash I don't know I don't know how I feel about them I'm not worried about them Tracker's scarier. They just raised nine million bucks. Sorry. How are you uh, marketing yourself? <laughs> um, we we use a lot of different things. Uh, we we use email marketing, uh, with, like for already onboarding and uh, and like newsletters and so on. We we used Mailchimp before, but we had some issues, and now we're using GetResponse. And uh, and also we be, I believe it's one of my like core philosophies is that the product itself is a very important marketing channel. And uh, I think most of our growth has come from our product itself and uh, yeah, different growth hacking and things like that. So doing like this zero uh, budget marketing. Mm. Yeah, we we actually launched like now, um, but the way we get our initial user base, which is like uh, 40-ish, 40-ish scaling brands and agencies and uh, most of it was direct or through my LinkedIn profile or, um, yeah, some of our marketing is like uh, stuff like this live event I did with Ragnar last week. This is really good for, for us just being a part of the ecosystem and kind of existing. But we shut down our form because during the launch, it's going to be we're a small team and to kind of try to uh, prove to 40 people who are much, much bigger than us and and could provide a lot of value we want to we want to give them something that they want to buy afterwards so we shut down our our current uh, kind of direct sales or whatever you want to call it initial mm-hmm. user base gathering just because it, it was we're going to do something it's going to be too hard to manage if we do too many more but yeah most of our marketing is like direct or um or now experimenting with events and we're going to do some other original content stuff but social media and a little bit of everything still playing around with stuff to see what works well you mentioned the emails. How has GDPR uh, affected you? I did my master's thesis on GDPR. Oh, okay, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I made like a all-inclusive framework that analyzes like based on question, yes, no questions that uh, gives you a, like a output that what you need to still do. So we designed it to be compliant from from like the beginning. So we already asked all the consent and uh, and yeah, we're not spamming anybody who who hasn't given consent. So. Mostly the emails are transactional, so it's just like you have a new offer or whatever. Or we have like newsletters out with the new blog, blog mm-hmm. post that we have, or like different onboarding campaigns that are like automations that compose of like five or six emails when you sign up or something like that. 
You can probably make a ton of money with gonna, GDPR right yeah, now. I was like, why don't you sell that thing, dude? Just door to door. Hey, are you GDPR compliant? Yeah. Government's coming yeah, for you. I could, but uh, it's not that... Um, uh, I feel that... I don't know. I think GDPR actually is going to be weaponized <laughs> because uh, when you have your competitors, you know, and uh, like pre- previously you can do it with like, I don't know what, what's it in English, like the work... Uh, committee or something that you have like violations in your workplace you uh, know, like the labor board yeah, yeah you yeah, send yeah. some audit in but, but what if you know your competitor is not compliant you go make an account you know you poke around some things you start asking some questions from them you mm-hmm. can like cause some pain with that and i think there's going to be like there's agencies that deal with patent warfare so basically mm-hmm. you have uh, some let's say there was a i don't remember what, what company it was but in sweden there's this bike company that used their services and they built basically a patent wall around all of their competitors. So everything in every direction they try to like innovate. There's a patent there that belongs to them. You pay them or not. I think GDPR is going to have like similar agencies that are going to use it for warfare. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I could sell it, but it's another company. I don't want to start GDPR <laughs> warfare. Do you think it will? I don't. I mean, I'm familiar as much as I have to be with GDPR, but you wrote a thesis on it, so it's a bit next level. Do you feel that GDPR will change? in the next years in the way that they'll be like, okay, this thing doesn't work in this situation. And there'll be a lot of, of rulings that are made that dumb down GDPR or. Mm, I, I doubt it. It's, it's mm. too big of a machine to make like changes. Maybe they add some like extra small things, but mm. I doubt it's going to be any big changes. And yeah, regarding cybersecurity, it is like a shot in the foot for the defenders because it's the defenders are already losing. Like every day, the attackers are always one step ahead. And with GDPR, you know, you have a lot more things you need to think about. It's going to make mm. things it, to, to be 100% compliant with GDPR is like nearly impossible if you don't have a massive budget. Uh, especially if you deal with special categories of data such as health or, or something like that, then you're completely screwed. Uh, and uh, it just makes defense a lot more harder because you need to spend energy on a lot of these things while the attackers don't care, you know, they're just mm-hmm. laughing and still attacking you while your effort is going somewhere else. Of course, I understand the point of it is to just advocate like good privacy and like the basis of like good data protection and things like that that should be there anyway with, with all the companies and since it isn't, they're trying to force it, but I, I really think it's not going to solve the problem unless there's going to be like some massive public hangings of some big companies and then everybody gets scared and starts spending a lot of money. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a crazy few years probably. Will it be affect uh, influencer marketing also? Because uh, there's yeah. go- a lot of data exchanges are going on. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I doubt majority of the major platforms are compliant mm-hmm. uh, and uh, like most people think like compliance is this, this that i just send out a new email that says you know i need to renew my consent you don't actually need to do that all the renew consent emails are basically they're they're pointless you know if you already gathered consent before then you, n- you don't need to do it if you didn't then yeah but uh, actually after the gdpr you can't even send the email to ask for consent because you haven't asked for consent to send that email <laughs> So you can only notify that you have their data and so on. But uh, but basically, I think that it's going to be a restriction for companies to enter into market because you need to, you have a lot of influencers' personal information when you do these kind of things, and uh, you need to protect that. You need to have all the safeguards in place. And if you, if you somehow stray into the special categories, like you need, you're going to need to do a lot of things. You know, we're going to run out of show time if I start explaining all the things you need to do for for compliance in in that field. So I think it definitely affects it. But from a user's perspective, it's good. You know, you can uh, you can have control over your data. You know, that's uh, you, you you just you can use the right to be forgotten. You know, you can actually 
ask for your data, a copy of your data from uh, from some company that has your data. They need to give it to you, and you can give it to another another company if you want to. So there, there's a lot of lot of angles there. I think it's not going to be like a huge restriction in influencer marketing because mostly it's like more simple personal data, mm-hmm. and there's not that much. There's a lot of it, but it's like there's not that different categories of it. Maybe depends on what kind of analysis you do. So yeah, based on that, it's it, it matters how much you need to do regarding GDPR. Back to influencers. <laughs> so if uh, our listener or watcher now decides like, uh, it's like, yeah, this cool thing to do, like oh, bring it on. So what will be your um, influencer startup guide? Like getting started uh, guide or working with influencers for dummies? Mm. You know, if you don't have any mo- any previous experience at all, I think it's best to go to a platform uh, because or an agency because uh, they've done it before. They know how to do it well, and uh, the know-how that they already accumulated is something you can't uh, just read in one article. So, for example, with us, we if you come and you're new, don't know anything, for first few campaigns, uh, we basically do everything for you, and uh, it's like completely free of charge, basically. And uh, that way, we want to ensure that they get good results. They get uh, the statistics that they're going looking for. They achieve their goals, and uh, that way, you also learn because you see how it's done, and then you can do it yourself after. Yeah, I think the influencer marketing guide for dummies depends on totally depends on what kind of company you are. If you're a extra small company, then I think it's a lot about experimenting and uh, learning as you go, or looking for support like Alex said and I think if you're if you're a larger company then your best bet is probably to really heavily lean on somebody who's doing it really well already which is probably Modash or Promoti or maybe an agency let's say uh, I want to work with uh, Seven Blaze wants to work with uh, influencers to get uh, more podcast views uh, more coaching clients more consulting clients more uh, training workshop uh, stuff so what do you think someone place should do mm. main thing is to target audience i believe as always you know you need yeah. to look into that and then if you can find influencers with that target audience who resonate with your brands then from there on it's only like making a cool campaign you know mm. i think it's really important to understand what your goals are yeah. like uh, if you're trying to drive like this percentage more views a month or subscribers or whatever then uh, you need to base the whole thing around that and i think for seven blaze what makes a lot of sense is figuring out who has the target audience that you want to have have on and especially maybe whose audience might want to buy a course and then bring those people onto the show and speak to them um then get a couple of shots in about your own course or what you're doing and yeah i think uh, that's the the simplest narrowest explanation of what you could do i mean you could go super crazy and tour around the world doing seven blaze goes on the tour and meets all the top social media experts in the world and gives out tips about it or or whatever little short snippets yeah it's it's kind of like the same way as uh, regular marketing you need to do like tests find out what works Mm -hmm. and then when you find out what works you make like a consistent strategy for it and uh, i believe then the results are going to be there and uh, what is my initial budget? <laughs> uh, depends a lot. Mm. It's uh, in Estonia, for example. Uh, I think you can get quite good result with five hundred to a thousand euros a month already, because uh, 
it's not that popular here still and uh, it, it's not as exp as expensive as in other parts of the world mm -hmm. but uh, if you want to be a big brand it can be like 10,000 50,000 you know if depends what your reach goals are and mm -hmm. depends a lot on the goals and the target audience yeah you can go as little as if you provide real value then you can do free I think that you probably stand by the same philosophy as I do and if you want to set a precedent for the kind of person you are you should pay influencers because they can't eat your shoes but yeah. um, you can even do a campaign for 50 euros you know if mm. it's uh, you do a campaign 50 euros for each month if you have like a small very precise target audience maybe you're some cool handicraft place in Deliskivi you know mm. you know what your target audience is maybe your influencers aren't that big you know there are also some handicraft people and then mm. you know you can get everybody you need for already 50 or 100 and you just target those and it can be quite good and I think for those types of smaller brands they need to leverage what is already there for them their employees and their um customers who are already in the store once a week talking mm -hmm. and everybody knows them and it's like hey we can give you a regular discount would you post some stuff online for us and yeah actually on the note of using your employees uh, i believe that influencer marketing is also a very good uh, thing for employer branding yeah so if you have your own company you know 50 people in there and mm -hmm. uh, you're gonna advocate them to be influencers for your company then they're gonna post about the company culture, how things are going in there, and, and uh, people are gonna see, you know, wow, it's really cool to work there. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're gonna have a lot of CVs sent to you. So it's, it's a really good employer branding thing that I think a lot of people aren't doing consciously. Some people are doing it by accident, uh, or it it's just so sort good. of it's really emerges. But it's, if you do it like as planned, then it's gonna be quite, quite good if you need to recruit people from other companies. Any other points uh, about planning the campaign? Make sure that both sides know exactly what they're trying to do. I think that's one thing that people make the mistake of. They jump into a campaign. They say, we just want one photo on Instagram of this water bottle. Can you please do it? The Instagrammer does it. And then somehow they post a video or there's a there's some messaging that's wrong or the campaign doesn't do as well as you thought or it doesn't give ROI and then the brand decides, oh, we're not going to pay you or we're not going to do whatever. It's really important that you set everything up and plan a little bit beforehand it might take you a day or two or a week or two weeks to collaborate with an influencer to do something really cool and make sure both sides know exactly what's going to happen but it will save you time and angst in the long term i think there's a there's another important factor that i remembered with that as well is that you can't really you need to be specific about what the boundaries are but you need to like leave playing room mm -hmm. in there you need to be you need to give like freedom to the mm -hmm. content creators and uh, and influencers because there's uh, a reason they're influencers and you're not yeah they're re they're really creative and uh, when you try to really control them they don't either they do it and it's bad because your idea sucked or you know they will just not do it at all and uh, if you give them the freedom you know they're creators they're going to probably have a really good they're going to figure out a really good way to promote your brand that's like awesome and also fits their own brand so it gets more engagement and mm -hmm. more traffic and so to the planning part how and what to measure for success i think engagement's really important oh, of course the goals that you set yes. you need to target those but uh, i think give an, can you give an example of a goal uh, depends. You can say, let's say, simplest thing. You want to increase your Instagram following on your brand's site, or you want to drive traffic to the link in your bio in Instagram. Mm. You want to sell some specific products. Uh, then you see exactly how much traffic went there, how many followers did you get, how many products did you sell, and then uh, when you do the campaign to see are the posts quality and so on. Uh, engagement is what, like the most important metric because you know if I have, um, I think we. 
uh, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but if I have like a couple of thousand euros, then tomorrow I can be an influencer with a couple of million followers because I just go to the, some nice marketplace and buy myself some followers. And, you know, marketer goes there and sees, wow, this guy's got two million followers, you know, uh, let's send him some stuff. But uh, in reality, my in, like my engagement is like 1%, maybe 0, 0.1%. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, you know, it's not going to do anything. So you need to really see the engagement because you can't really, when you buy the followers and do the, that kind of scamming, then your engagement is going to be very low. It's, you, you can't really buy that because those bots get killed if they like engage too much. So. Mm -hmm. You have to decide what success means before you start the campaign. Yeah, You have to say, okay, we are struggling to increase, our, to hit our KPI on uh, conversions through Instagram link or whatever, and we're struggling to get original content for our Facebook feed. And so how can we kill two birds with one stone? We use it, we collaborate with an influencer who drives this much traffic. Did they do it? Yes, success. Did they not? Okay, let's try somebody else or switch the strategy or the success metrics not right or whatever. Um, hit the goal, use the content on your Facebook feed and you're all happy. But it's very important that you understand what you're trying to do before you do it. Otherwise you'll never actually hit a success metric. Uh, Long-term versus short-term cooperation. Long different term. goals long term long term it's like i said before content marketing uh, it it uh, the effect starts to accumulate over time with content marketing you know it's seo and uh, link building and so on and you get a following that's in your news list and uh, mm -hmm. you can sell to that with influencer marketing it's the same if you have uh, 10 influencers that have a similar target group they're going to have overlapping followers which is a good thing because the, when you go on Instagram and you scroll, sometimes maybe you've seen that you know some guys are promoting the same product. You see the product 10 times. If you see that like for six months in a row, every few weeks, then it just goes in your like mm -hmm. uh, subconscious that this product exists. When you need that, when you think about that, then it's just gonna be there and you're gonna know, oh yeah, I saw that on Instagram, she was promoting it. And, uh, I think that's like the consistency for long term is, is really, really effective. Short term ones, it can be used as very well as uh, the existing campaign boosting. So if you have a social challenge, for example, we mm -hmm. we boosted the, what was it, it was called the yeah, U-Train Noco Pays. So it was a campaign with Noco and they had this challenge where you need to post a picture of, with a can of Noco in a gym or something. And we boosted that like with 40 posts or 30, I don't remember exactly. And I think they ended up getting like 500 posts alongside with other marketing there. So it was, uh, that, that's the kind of way you can use to like boost existing challenges or campaigns that you already have running. I missed the question. Co uh, question <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> it's still the last one, but. Uh, it's a good answer though. Does <laughs> <laughs> uh, Promoti and uh, also Modash do the contracts for you? Or how, do, if I want to do a direct contract, how this, uh, any advice about this? If you have a long-term relationship, then we will we will handle it. And if you really need a contract, but basically the contract part is kind of covered in the terms and conditions of, of our solution. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, another thing is if you do a contract, if you have like uh, long-term partners that you're like your ambassadors or something, don't make it very strict. And don't slap like a thousand pages of contract on them where it specifically says what they need to do. It needs to be like very loose. It's just something that says that they will do this, this and this, and they will need to like notify you if they want to stop the, and so on. So these are basic things there, not like some, like maybe one one or two pages, no, not, not like five Can you point out a few most important things that not to leave out um, or undiscussed? 
I think the payment is all. Uh, you should discuss the payment because if you start renegotiating it mid-campaign, you know, if it goes mm-hmm. really well, they can say, you know, you're selling a lot of stuff. I want more money. You know, the success metric. As yeah, well. exactly. When does the influencer get paid? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, and also the duration. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you do, um, you need to also add like a time before you like need to notify if you want to cancel the relationship because mm-hmm. you know you can't really enslave somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. All of our contracts, we work really hard right now to uh, develop ways to translate what a marketer might put in a in a this is what my campaign should be into a really simple terms and conditions sheet. So the influencer who isn't a lawyer can read the thing, click I accept the terms and then move forward. And I remembered your last question too about long term or short term. And I wanted to add something that I think uh, lo- uh, long term relationships with growing influencers that's something that's beautiful about the micro influencer space is if you pick really well this person's starting to grow really quickly mm-hmm. then uh, building a long-term relationship with them is maybe gonna be something that changes your business forever yeah especially the building the relationship part so it's not just like mm-hmm. you know here's a kind of coca-cola make a picture post it mm-hmm. and it's like a business transaction you know you know you get to know the person the marketer who deals with it then you build a relationship and they will like you more mm-hmm. they will produce better content and uh, they will be there with you long for longer and uh, you need to understand that it's not like uh, google ad space you just don't just buy and it's there it's like people you're working with so that and also with, when you're working with people you know timelines also shift you can't say that the campaign starts on monday at 10 ends at like wednesday at nine and you need mm-hmm. to like uh, post at this specific time in the middle because maybe you know they're on a bus something you know i don't know something happens mm. you know there are people so it, you need to like take that yeah don't set yourself or yeah. them up for failure yeah, yeah. exactly you need to have that space to mm. to have that communication and the flow yeah the flow last topic i still want to cover is ai in uh, some part uh, <laughs> uh, facebook newsfeed uh, instagram newsfeed is it's not AI literally, but it's still a self-learning algorithm that serves you the content. Of course, you can jump over it uh, with ads or pay content, but you still uh, are part of the part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, in in a sense, the algorithm itself is an influencer. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think uh, about the situation now? And uh, what do you think, will, where will it be in the future? About the algorithm's impact on the effectiveness of influencer marketing. Yes. If you're working with influencers who only rely on the algorithm, you're working with the wrong influencers. So you should be targeting their core audience who loves them and comes and watches every single video. And that's who you should be thinking about. If your success metric is based on, oh yes, they're gonna make the best content ever, the algorithm's gonna love it, and they're gonna do three times as well as they normally do, then you lost already. But but at the same time, what I mean is, I know there are companies uh, that rely on solely organic reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I see that this uh, little bit, let's say, tweak playing with the algorithm or playing with the ads gives you an edge. Oh, totally. So uh, yeah, thought on that. It's good to combine different things. I think it's, it, you need to test what works for your brand. But um, you know, using AI also, if you you know, in influencer marketing, for example. What uh, what we're building and uh, on the back end is also that uh, we're gonna analyze like the uh, followings of the people actually there who are following other like uh, influencers. So we see whose followers are overlapping, what their interests are, what they're doing, all these kinds of things. And stealing uh, my platform. <laughs> <laughs> 
so so basically uh, that that's going to be there and another thing that we are moving towards is uh, we're like platform agnostic so it doesn't matter if it's in instagram it doesn't matter if it's facebook you know there's influencers are always going to exist the platforms are going to change and uh, we're going to be still there when there's no facebook when there's no instagram if that mm -hmm. ever happens then uh, the platforms are going to change and also different platforms reach different target audiences. Mm -hmm. So eventually what it should be is that you just put in the target audience, the AI tells you these are the influencers, these are the channels, do that. Kind of like if you know Frank AI, uh, that's oh, like yeah. where we took the angle from that. It's a long road ahead. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's your next step? Over the, over the interview. It's confidential. What's the next step? <laughs> So, uh, one f uh, f fast uh, sp spur spurt <coughs> sp question. You ready? We can do it together. You ready? Cuddle up. Name something that our listener or watcher should be doing uh, right now, not related to marketing. Go hang out with your mom. Go say hi to your mom. Say, what's up, mom? I love you. That's cool. Uh, I was going to re recommend a book. Uh, oh. Do Liar's Poker by My Michael Lewis. Mm. It's uh, it's really interesting about uh, how Wall Street and all that uh, happened there during the during the crash and uh, and all, and before that. Mm. It was a very cool story. Is that what book are you reading right now? Are you reading a book right now? Uh, yeah, um, I'm reading Thirty Three Strategies of War by Ooh. Robert Greene. Interesting. Very That's good. Nice. Very good book. Cool. I Thank like history. Nice. I'm reading Principles by Ray Dalio right now. Super interesting book. Really, really long. You can watch the, <laughs> the cartoons. There's cartoons? Yeah, he just uh, he just released uh, the Principles cartoons. It's like half really? an hour. Yeah, it's quite good, actually. Okay, well, now I can stop reading. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, twisted them. I put it in the link of the show. Okay, thank you for sharing. I have the book also. It's in my, like, next, next, next book. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a thick one, and it's <laughs> yeah. hard to, like, commit to. Yeah. But really, what's like? Uh, what do you? What are you guys focused on right now? Unless it's top secret, I don't know. Uh, right now, just uh, building the technology, making mm -hmm. sure the quality is there, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting get, basically what we're using Estonia for is uh, getting all the technology ready. We mm -hmm. already tested out like all the go-to markets and all that. That's how we got all the ten thousand people and so on. Nice. And uh, what we do is when we have everything ready, then we just uh, start expanding nice. country by country, and uh, yeah, mo mainly focusing on Europe. Very cool. I'm excited. So who will buy who? <laughs> or merge? Don't make me answer that. Google. I like Alex. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google. Okay. Uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, every Double A's. The A-team. The A-team. I pity the fool who doubts the A-team in the Seven Blaze social podcast. Woo! I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, where can our um, followers find you on social media? Instagram.com slash the Avery Schrader. LinkedIn, so, Avery Schrader. But most importantly, go follow modash.io. That's M O D A S H.io. Go follow them everywhere. You've been practicing that. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't actually, but I, had to, I was worried I was going to slip up. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is just my first and last name, Alex Kwa. And uh, in, in, in LinkedIn, you can connect me with, with me as well. And mm -hmm. uh, our website is promoted.eu. If you want to start a social campaign, then just reach out and we will get everything sorted for you. Mm -hmm. We will figure out the campaign and everything. If, if you, I want to say one more thing. If you want to see me falling from the sky and pitching Modash, 
then go to modash.io on Facebook, facebook.com slash modash.io. And you can see me falling from the sky. I'm very afraid. If you, <laughs> rem- I, I tried, I put the link in the show also if you want to add it. All right. Thank you, dear listeners, dear viewer, viewers. This was episode number 42. Nice. That was brought to you by our awesome team. Thank you, Ahti Gaspeit. Ahti. Thank you, Hendrik Weyer. Hendrik. Thank you, Marie Seger. <laughs> and uh, most of all, thank you, listeners, for uh, hanging out till the end. You rock. Thank you, Jan. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Jan. <laughs> Check out our previous episodes on our webpage, sevenblaze.com. Seven with a seven, with the number, with a seven place on YouTube uh, or on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Or if you want all the files uh, in your USB stick to put it in your car, whatever. Send them a mailing pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned and be social. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Nice. Thank <laughs> you.